Hey, I'm Rizzo. Dropping out if you're not in front of me, like. Huh? We've got a slight delay between the two of us, by the way, so we're gonna have to manage that. It'll like it's about half a second. I'll just talk very slowly and point at you before we start talking. I'll give you the time. Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. Today we are talking with Dr. Barry Gordon, who is a senior lecturer in health and physical education at Victoria University in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, we are going to discuss his article titled An Alternative Conceptualization of the Teaching, Personal, and Social Responsibility Model, so TPSR. Um, you can find the full site of the article in the notes. Uh, Barry, thanks for coming on the podcast. Kia ora, Risto. Thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And if our conversation before was as good as it's going to be here, we're going to have a great, great chat about TPSR. Um, so TPSR has come up on this podcast before. Uh, Paul Wright and Kevin Richards have done some episodes. Um, we've also talked about the tear, which is a way to uh, assess TPSR. Um, other people have come on and talked about personal and social responsibility. Um, but maybe maybe we can start with just having you give a brief overview of the model and maybe talk about um, what attracts you to this model. Why why do you why are you engaged in research uh, in TPSR? Thanks. Um, well, firstly, the interesting thing to me was that I knew nothing of the model until I I, I taught physical education for many years and then I'd gone to Ohio State to do my masters. On my Buckeye, um, that was way back, and then came back and got into what we in those days were called teaching colleges. Um, and at that point, I knew very, very little about it. Um, I was already a year into my PhD on a topic nothing to do with TPSR. Um, and then Don and Dave, uh, Don Hallison and Dave Walsh turned up to do a, a circuit around New Zealand. Um, and immediately, it was within an hour of listening to them. Um, that I changed my PhD topic and dived into TPSR. And I think that the thing that struck me was, was a couple of things. Uh, the first was simply what Don talked about what's important in your professional life, and it's written that as well. And I felt like if I looked at myself and I was at the start of a career, you know, what was important? Um, and then I realized, you know, this was a, a child-centered um, approach and it was value-based. Uh, making better kids or make better people. Um, and while that sounds a bit sort of cheesy, uh, the reality was I, I thought that was important. Um, and I also really liked the fact that you had twin goals. So, you know, you could, Don was quite strong on this, that you maintained the integrity of if you were basketball or whatever the sport context. It's be taught to be really good at basketball as well. Uh, but the parallel to that, to these values goals. So it made sense to me. I like the framework, and um, yes, much to the upset of my PhD supervisor, I went and changed completely. As I was a year into it, so it's quite a big thing, as he said to me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but yes, and that was the approach. Those are the things that really appealed to me. I was immediately uh, attracted to it. Yeah, and it's it, it is a really attractive model because of exactly what you said—that dual purpose. It comes with you're still teaching physical education. The bulk of that lesson is about teaching skills and so you're not reinventing the wheel there, but it, it also talks about you know, 
making or facilitating better students and making a lifelong impact. And, and I think we'll, we'll talk to that transfer piece a little bit because uh, that is a huge part in, in your reconceptualization. You kind of uh, put that at the center. But can you talk to me about the idea of labeling the values of TPSR as cumulative levels? Because in, in the paper, you talk about the benefits of having those cumulative levels, like you are going to step one, then after that, step two, then step three. And what are the implications of that? Like, is there, are there issues with yeah. labeling those levels? <clears throat> well, yeah, the first thing is that the um, idea of level one, level two, or even level zero um, being cumulative is really traditional. It's really well established, and that's a strength in one way because it gives people a common um, terminology. You know, if I meet somebody and we're talking, I was working on level three, um, then self-direction, then like, we sort of know what it means. Um, so I think there's a traditional bit there, which is important. Um, the Teachers, I think that they like a framework because one of the worries in TPSR for some teachers is that it's less structured. I mean, you just come back and you're giving empowering the students a little bit, and that can be a little bit scary. And so, to have a framework of levels helps give it that sort of structure. Um, so, I think I think that's important for them, and um, it means that you can talk in more discrete units. So, when it, you know, we're talking about effort, making good effort, trying new things, etc. So yeah, there are some positives about it. Um, for me, the major negative, and some of the research seems to indicate this, is that many teachers particularly um, would consider that you work on one and then when that's been achieved, you work on two, then three, and four. And that's, that sounds pretty linear, but and it's, in the reality of practice, it's not that linear, but that's the concept behind it. Um, and for me, the particular worry always was that um, you know, there's been quite a bit of research where transfer is ignored, really. Um, it's nice to have, I think, I wrote in my article. Um, so, you know, if you believe that you're really working on these other values or levels, and then you start talking about transfer, um, I think the essence of the model can be lost. Yeah. Again, in the article, I quote uh, Don Hallison a couple of times where he talks about the, um, the importance of transfer being the essence of the whole model. That's what it's about. It's not working in the classroom or the pub or whatever. Um, yeah, and so there really, I think there really is a risk that if you leave, you talk about transfer as level five, you know, that you may ignore it. Um, whereas as we'll talk about later, the reconceptualization that transfer becomes. Yeah. Um, and I know that many, um, maybe not teachers, but some of the academics, but someone like Dave Walsh has always talked about transfer being central, but he will work on transfer to say one of those programs. Um, so yeah, those, those, those are the advantages, but the disadvantage for me was that people may um, leave some opportunities behind because they want to, they've got this mindset of stepping up the ladder, so to speak. So what is, what is your model, like this, this new alternative conceptualization that you wrote about? Um, how, how do the, the values and goals look like in a, in a sports program, or can you kind of explain what what that in, in the paper is figure one, where there's this big transfer in the very, very center of the model. Can you explain that? Yeah, so the way I, way I put it together, it doesn't change the model, 
um, I think it actually in many ways illustrates the model um, more correctly or more, more in line with what Don would have thought. Um, and so there's three or four things. The first thing is that transfer, as you mentioned, is in the middle. Um, and so that transfer becomes part of everything. Okay, so um, if we took a really simple example, if on day one you turn up in my class and you, um, well, the first time in our class you show some respect, you've been in pain all the time, and now that you show a bit of respect, allow me to teach. That could be, you know, the second day. That moment, I could take, I should take the opportunity to talk to you and say that great, you know, have enjoyed the class more than when you're causing problems. Have you thinking, how, how do you think it will go if you try it in maths or whatever? So immediately you are talking transfer and within the classroom uh, or within the, the club, you talk transfer every every day. And I've got some, I think we'll talk later about the, the suggestions. Um, so that's the first thing is that we place transfer as the most important part of it, central part of it. Um, and we've also got two ways of transfer. So we always talk about transfer, what we do in our club and what it's like when home or to work or classroom or out in the playground. Um, but there's also the transfer that comes back to the program and offer knowledge. So Christo uh, here has decided that he wants to try and make a really big effort. And he goes home and he makes an effort with mum doing stuff, caring. It's absolutely rewarded for it. You know, his thanks, everything else. So that transfer back will really encourage him to continue um, developing a particular star program. If, however, you go back out and you try something and your friends tease you, what are you doing, give you a really hard time about you know, being a goody-goody guy and all this stuff in America, um, then that's a negative transfer back. So you may be actually come back to this class less inclined to take on board to stuff. Uh, that some of these values and some of the uh, talking about. So it's, it's, yeah, it's quite important that we and later on when we talk about suggestions, is that we address the issues of what happens when we want them to transfer out, but what happens when that happens. Take it to a new context. Plan for that transfer later. So the transfer is the centre. The other, and two ways, and the other thing is that we've got the, um, the values or slash levels, um, self-direction, respect, effort, caring, leadership, etc. They are not uh, floating. So we don't say we should start with one or start with the other. And in one session, we may actually address caring and effort or respect and caring. Um, and part of that was when I was working with students years ago, um, we were looking at the, in those days levels. And the student said to me, why isn't caring level one? Isn't that fundamental to everything else? And I said, oh, actually, that sounds reasonable. And that's when we started looking at it and thinking, maybe we have it in that structure. Um, and I think the other thing is that sometimes with respect and effort are sort of more traditional sort of things we would expect in a classroom. Sometimes that's where the teachers stop. That's where they're really encouraged and they're pretty happy at that point. So, yeah, there's several reasons, but I certainly want, have got these values just moving around and they're not fixed and there's no set order which you would introduce or whatever. Um, and you've got transfer as a central part of it. That, so those are the two major differences. And that that choice of what is covered is then left up to the teacher essentially, right? Or the, or the coach of what are you choosing to address more today instead of where, whereas a traditional model, you'd start at the bottom. 
and then you'd work yourself up. So uh, is that right? So the, the choice becomes on the teacher, how they're planning their lesson, what are they focusing on? One or two parts of it or? And you know, there's two, two or three things. One, one is that you, the choice is pragmatic to the degree that you don't want to overload day one, guess what, we're doing all four of these plus the different transfer. Um, so yes, there's, there's a pragmatic response that you don't want to, you know, these, the kids say it's an after school basketball program. They want to learn basketball, as we talk. So that's important, it's twin goals. Um, and so you slowly bring it in. Um, but the model has always been reactive to the context. So depending on the context, you, you know, the first thing you might need to do is talk about respect because they're not respecting you enough to even start to teach. Uh, not respecting each other to learn whatever. Or it could be that, um, you know, there's a real uh, uh, need for developing some empathy among the class, bullying and whatever. So that may be where you start with. Mm-hmm. So you react to the context, but you're also pragmatic within the realities of what you... don't want to turn the kids off within the you know, first hour or two by talking to them. Yeah. They have to be physically active, that's the whole. Right. Yeah, so it's a, reacting to what's happening in front of you. Yeah. So what are some of the suggestions you you can bring up for teachers and coaches to adopt to start facilitating transfer in, in practice? Um, okay, so we've talked, the first one we've talked about, and that is that you introduce transfer at the start of the program and you continue doing it throughout. So, um, you know, what, what we're learning in this program is really going to be useful for us as a class in physical education, um, but you know, also can be valuable for you outside of the classroom. At the really start, so you sow the seed, you establish that transfers are that, that transfer is what you're going to be doing, looking at. Um, and then, what I find personally, and other teachers, other coaches will do the same, is that you get into the excitement of the of the class or the coaching session, and then you forget that some of these things. So. I suggest that there's some sort of monitoring of yourself just to ensure that you do mention transfer more than once and do it and then, you know, dive into the session or whatever. Um, and that can be some sort of systematic way, just every, um, you know, there's a checklist that you could use or, or whatever suits you. Um, and then actually think about how you incorporate transfer into the awareness talk or the reflections or the discussions afterwards and actually plan for that. Um, and again, you know, we're not talking intensive or extensive stuff, um, but just keeping that awareness going. And the example I used in here uh, in the article was um, around something as simple as caring. You know, you've been talking about caring and it's going well and you're asking it and say, you know, who's helped somebody in the class today without being asked? And then say, okay, so what about outside the class? Who's helped somebody um, without being asked? And just, just because it's helpful, Outside of the classroom in the last week, for example, who's helped your mother at home, or sorry, your mom at home, um, or you know, you can take it the next stage. Let's, let's think about that. Next week, in the lesson, I'm going to ask you about if you had the opportunity, and that, and it's, so it's that constant, without going on and on and on, but just that constant reinforcing about the fact that um, you know, transfer is really what we're doing. A sentence here, a sentence there, checking up here. Um, the other one I sort of talked about is the fact that um, it's planning for transfer. So preparing participants for transfer so that we look at what's happening in their lives. And we can say, you know, the example I used was if you make a big effort at maths and your, te- your friends will tease you, 
Guinness out of the article, then you can talk to them about it and say, okay, so you're really enjoying the fact that you're trying new things, making a good effort, and you're persistent. Um, you want to try it in, in another class. What will happen there, do you think? If they say, oh, my, my friends might tease me for being you know, goody good. Okay, so that's, yeah, that's quite possible. How are you going to react to that? What's, how are you going to react? What are you going to do about that? Because if they, you don't want that negative transfer coming back in. Um, you also want the kids to think about what benefit would be for them to. So, you know, so you're going to really make a good effort in that. Really work at stuff you're not, you know, struggling with, being persistent. You know, what, what's, how's it going to help you? What's the benefit? So they can start to think ahead that there's a benefit. Um, and then the other thing is that you want them to believe that they can do it. So you, you need to support them. You can do this in that, whatever it is. Um, so if you're actually making transfer important, but you're also doing some planning and some pre-work to help them be successful when they do transfer it out. Um, I think it will, I won't mention it now, but we'll come back to it later. And that's one of, one of the interesting things that you find about that is that do it successfully, you need to have an understanding of the, of the life outside of your classroom and the, con and the context of whether it be a club or classroom. I apologise, I keep talking classrooms. But, you know, um, and so, yeah, and then um, there's this thing I think you've talked, maybe we've talk, heard about called uh, transformative SEL, which is this idea that we have to now move, and I'll come back to it, but move systems up, TPSR, into looking at the systemic problems that are out there that these kids are, are they going to address them rather than simply hearing them as that and I think that's one of the next directions for, yeah uh, so yeah those, those I think we'll talk about later but those are the things that we're talking about uh, that, that you can do in a classroom or in a club yeah and, and, yeah so I guess I guess the question is if I'm if I'm thinking about uh, a teacher who does TPS already in that more the original idea of it, and and I think you you did a great job uh, putting in quotes from Don Helson of you know explaining that he has considered these levels, but in his context he decided that those were that that was what he's kind of going to stick with, and there were research articles that have published throughout since he's published this model first that kind of critique that. So let's say you're giving advice to a person who knows the TPS mo T TPSR model, they've been going through the cumulative, cumulative le levels. So what are kind of like the challenges that you would see or the implications, like what would change in their class if they went in and adopted this new idea of it and started transfer at the very beginning and throughout? Yeah. So the first thing is that um, I when I started... I've actually been doing, working this way with schools and so forth for a while before I wrote the article. Um, the overwhelming response, I, I thought there'd be problems for teachers who were already doing it because they, I didn't think they'd want to change. But the overwhelming, and I mean overwhelming response was this makes absolute sense. Um, and so for those teachers, it wasn't, wasn't the challenge that I thought it was. Um, and I think if you, um, there was a, um, the, uh, the TPSR Alliance had a, um, Podcast just recently uh, with Australia and New Zealand primary school, elementary school teachers who are doing TPSR, um, and it was interesting that they all talked to, without even thinking about it of values and of um, transfer being the centre, and these values being they, they one of them did who would be doing 
So I honestly thought that it would be caused to be problematic, but it teachers didn't seem to. Um, I guess the only thing that comes up, and I, the one, most of the students, the teachers I'm working with are teachers who are chosen to come and do the work. Sometimes the teachers who are well established, who are comfortable with the levels, they've got posts at all, they're not really addressing transfer, but they're very happy because the classrooms are so much better behaved, the relationships are so much better, they're getting more work done. Um, that it's a reassessing of that whole, the essence of what they're doing can be a bit, a bit too much of a challenge. And there was a, some that been a little reactive against it, saying, oh, that's going really, really well, this is perfect. I sort of felt that like some of them might be thinking I'm, I was criticising them, I wasn't. Um, but they, they did feel a bit slightly defensive, some of them. But in general, it's been, oh, hey, that makes perfect sense. Because they can, you know, if they chose to, the values are floating, so they could follow the same sequence if that's what suits their classroom or not. But that essence of, you know, this is, we're doing it for your classroom, but they're trying to get it to move outside the classroom or their club is important. And that's the, yeah. So, yeah, sum it up, I was surprised. I thought there would be more challenges than there were. Yeah. And... Honestly, when I read this and I looked at this model and the way you explain it, that was my reaction. I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like, why keep the transfer at the very end if that's your ultimate goal? If that's the highest level that you want to get to, wouldn't you want to kind of introduce it at the very beginning, even if it's not like the one thing that you're trying, you're not going to do transfer only, but through other, you know, through physical activity, through awareness talks, you're talking about transfer from the bottom up. Um, I'm saying bottom up, but I don't mean that because I mean your little <laughs> circle in the middle. I'm, I'm making hand gestures yeah. pointing to your figure one that on an audio <laughs> podcast that nobody can see here. Uh, but I, I do recommend that people who are listening go go to this paper to read for yourself to kind of reimagine or rethink the way that you're you're approaching this because. Um, like you said, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and um, so moving moving forward a little bit, I, I have one last question for you, and it's a little bit unrelated to what we've been talking about, TPSR. Um, but you recently published a book. Um, the title of the book is Tactical Decision-Making in Sport, How Coaches Can Help Athletes to Make Better In-Game Decisions. Uh, the book is on developing thinking players. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about this book, this model, just in general, and what kind of led you led you down this route. Um, sure. So the, the book has been um, edited by myself and David Cooper from Canada. Um, and it, we, before the uh, we, before we started this, we were talking baseball, and so that's where it all came from actually, because mm. I. As I say, I was at a higher state, and then I was with Paul Wright in Illinois for a while, and became really um, a Boston Red Sox fan, of all things. Um, and so, working it through, thinking about it, and I've been playing with some other stuff um, around how to teach games. Um, and it suddenly occurred, I was reminded of that when Butler um, came out, I thought came out to New Zealand many years ago. He kept talking, he talked a number of times about how we lose the power of tactical decision-making, actually getting tactics back to something that we push aside in the end because we're teaching the rules and so forth. Um, so this is a sort of another 
version of, you know, of the teaching game for understanding. It certainly comes from that, that era. Um, but the idea is simply that you, it's not, um, is that you teach quite sophisticated tactics for kids and develop the decision making through using modified games where you simplify, simplify, simplify the equipment, simplify the um, actual rules of the game. But you're focusing on tactics and decision making. So the, one of the chapters on there is softball, baseball, and so you use small areas, but they're throwing um, softballs, but you're running quite complicated, you know, runners on two and three, one out, top of the fourth. That's not, we're going to start with that, but to get to that, um, and you're leading by three, what's the best outcome that you could hope for? And so the players will really think about it and make their decisions. Um, but they're always working with the confidence that they're not going to get a hard hit ball to them. To those things. And so, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. I've used it for um, a number of uh, different activities. Um, take some invasion games um, and actually some target games too. But, the, you know, the whole basis is that kids can be attracted and interested in developing a really good sense of the game through tactics, advanced tactics, um, and that, that requires decision-making around those games. So that's one level, um, and then there's a few chapters in there around that, around the model itself, and then the softball, baseball, and um, touch, which is a New Zealand game, which I'm not sure how many of the national audience will know about, Australasians will. Um, and then we also got 13, in total 13 sports, so they range from that good traditional American game, netball, <laughs> which is Canadian and Australasian. Um, uh, football, which is soccer, and also football, Canadian football, which is sort of your football, ice hockey, um, volleyball, cricket, squash, karate, which is an unusual one. Um, and all of them are experienced coaches who have been asked to talk about how they, that's in the sports, but how they develop tactical awareness and decision-making good decision-making in their particular sport. And there's all sorts of different there. Um, and then the front line is more of theater, theoretical um, aspects of um, decision-making in sports, the theories behind how, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a theoretical basis in the first part. There's a good solid 13 different activities in sports that's um, with an experienced coach and then it finishes off with a more of a sort of a rounding off of it. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's um, so far, it seems to be going really well. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I caught the, the karate part there, and I, I, I'm interested in that because I wrestled at the university level, and then I coached at the university level for five years in, in the U.S., oh. and so you know, I'm, I'm really into wrestling now, more into jujitsu and and it's it's really really tactical and you know my my head wrestling coach when i was in college and who i then coached with was a couple time ncaa champion uh you know like a really 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 highly intelligent wrestler and what he was always preaching was that you have to know how to think in these situations and not just be a robot that does moves really really well it's not just repetition of doing this attack this attack, this attack. And when I was wrestling, that was my, like, I, I just drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled and drilled and made sure that I knew what to do. And I had a game plan and it was if 
this is game plan number one. If that gets shut down, this is my number two. And if that gets shut down, this is my number three. Yeah. But they were always shut down in specific ways. And I remember vid- vividly in my senior year in one of my last matches that I just couldn't, I couldn't think through a solution while the match was going. I was in a point that I would have had to go back and watch videotape and analyze and figure out what was going. So I never achieved yeah. what the goal was of being a thinker during that activity. I won some matches, maybe some matches I shouldn't have based on how I was performing. But at the end of the day, when I became a coach, the light went off. I was like, oh, I, I was... <laughs> And I, and I kind of put that as like, I was so pressured as, a, as an athlete to win or not get embarrassed. And I was so co- like caught up in that versus where you see elite athletes who are innovative and creative and make these amazing plays in whatever sport they're doing is because they're thinking. They're, it's not yeah. like they're all of a sudden just randomly doing something. They're like, I think this can work. And if it doesn't work, I have an answer to that and that and that and that. So I think it's one of the things that I feel is very limited is in these combative sports, how much tactics is actually in there. But we don't talk about that because we don't have people who are teaching that at the K to 12 elementary, secondary level because like karate or boxing or wrestling or jujitsu, they're... There's sports that have been around for hundreds of years, yet they're not often taught in schools. They're not often taught in schools in the U.S. because we fear that you're going to get sued, you know. And if you do get past that, you don't have the, like, they're very, very tough skills to learn. So it's not as easy as, you know, learning how to kick a soccer ball and going in and showing somebody that's three years old, this is how you kick a soccer ball. You could pick that up in a weekend if you need. Yeah. So It's interesting that, isn't it? Because, yeah, it's a bit like the TPSR where, you know, people assume the values would be developed, you know, this character development just by being participating. But in actual fact, we've discovered that you do need a framework and actually be explicit in mm-hmm. you know, that safety network or whatever. And that's yeah. Um, and so too with the thinking. You know, we think that players will learn to think because they play lots of games. Yeah. But we've all played with players who have played for 30 years and still haven't learned to think at all. They just react. Um, but it can be generated. It can facilitate the ability to be better thinking players. Um, and David um, Cooper, who's the other editor, his pivotal moment as a, he was a squash coach was that he, and he writes in the book about how he had a really good squash player and came to the big final of the competition and he couldn't be there, he had a wedding or whatever. When he came back, she had lost and she should have won. And said, so what happened? She said, oh, you weren't there to tell me what to do. Yeah. And he said, just hit him. You know, it was just like, a, oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's when his interest in actually targeting, facilitating, developing the ability to think and make good decisions. Yeah. And part of what he did. So that's, that's how we... And, and part of that style of coaching is the video game coaching. Like you're you're there hitting the controller, making the player do things. And when you don't have that controller with you, it's not working. Whereas I think 
the scary analogy is the artificial intelligence. You're like programming mm. that, that being, that performer to think for themselves. So when you, you're not, you're no longer making those moves for them. And I, and I was there as a, as an athlete too. I would always look to my corner and like ask, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. What, how do I fix this? And I was always looking for that answer. And you know, there are times in hectic tournaments when the, the coach doesn't get there right away and you look in your corner, you go, Oh crap here we go. Like I have I'm to think trouble. for myself, you know? So, but yeah, I mean, writing the book was fascinating. Listen to those, um, you know, getting the feedback from different coaches. Just like you, I've never thought of the wrestling thing before. Um, so can I ask, have you watched uh, return of the boom? No, as a wrestler? no, I haven't. What is that? How have do, a look. How do it's, I not know that? It's on Netflix. Okay. I'll, I'll have no to look idea. It up. I'll have to look it up. It's a comedy, and I'll think about when you're watching those kids. I think about yourself. I'll be thinking about you being. He's a he was a wrestling coach. He comes back. Anyway, okay. um, is that official? Like, is that an official life. endorsement of Return of the Boom? Absolutely. Okay, you'll love it. All right, I'll, I'll go check it out. <laughs> I think it's Return of the Boom. Something like Boom the Boom. Yeah. The Boom was his wrestling name at college. Anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the whole thing has been really fascinating. That book. It really has because, you know, I was just, as a personal, personally, you know, my own sporting career, um, I'm thinking about the bad decisions, the good decisions, but also looking for that, just like you did, you know, that someone to say it was okay um, or yeah. to tell me what to do in that situation. Um, and yet it's the really good players who do the unexpected, make those decisions that are, yeah. you know, just a bit different. Yeah. Um, I don't care. And then going with it. And, and some, te some of the players, I think, are quite happy to, for somebody else to make the decision, even if they think it's wrong mm -hmm. for them. Because if it goes bad, they can blame. Well, you know, it was Risso who told me to. Yeah. My fault. Yeah. So yeah, and, and you can get very, very complicated situations going. You know, and let's go back to the baseball one. It just with kids, normal kids, trying to work out, you know, which pitch is the best throw, where to go to. Um, there's actually there's another book that's out that I've done, and I'm not promoting it here, but it's developing thinking players through baseball softball. Um, and that has a whole series of scenarios where you get the kids to play with them, play the scenario out, and then decide three to one points for best result batting team, best result fielding team, and so forth. Um, with, but again, you reduce it down to hitting off a team or even throwing a ball rather than having it. So it's yeah. an absolute focus on tactical. Um, and it's, it, I find it, it's uh, mostly the students I've not worked with and really, really enjoy it. And often it's the kids who aren't uh, particularly able who can uh, physically contribute. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Barry. Um, I appreciate you coming on and chatting about the new model, the, the reconceptualized model, um, and then about yeah, your book yeah. as well. So um, I think they're gr both great resources. I'll link to both in the show notes and people can look at those. Um, so thanks for coming on and, and uh, I'm glad we got to span, um, I think about 15 time zones. So appreciate it. <laughs> we finally worked it out. Yeah, no, no problems and enjoy the movie. Yep, Return of the Boom. All the listeners, go go listen, go watch the Return of the Boom and report back. Better make better, better double check it. Something the Boom. I think it's Return. It might be Here Comes the Boom. Something something right. like that. We'll we'll put Boom in the uh, 
in the Netflix queue. Yeah. Thanks, Barry. You're in. <laughs> Thanks. If you're still listening, you're probably really into health and physical education. So I'm going to use this opportunity to pitch our master's program to you if you don't have your master's degree yet. Um, our 100% online master's degree program we offer at George Mason is affordable. You can do it while teaching, and it's high quality. Um, Mason was listed as one of the top 50 universities under 50 years old in the world. Our education department was ranked in the top 10 nationally for the online master's degree program in curriculum and instruction. The master's degree uh, revolves around your teaching. So you'll use assignments from the classes to immediately apply research and best practices to your classes. You'll be part of a tight-knit cohort of health and physical education professionals who are passionate about teaching. You're also going to get an opportunity to interact with students in other content areas. So if you're interested, you can email me, look me up on Twitter, or you can go on the hpewebsite.com under study with us and watch a video that I've made.